The Prime Minister Chris Luxon is with us. Very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. These sanctions that you're chasing on the job seeker and those sort of bit, how many mm. do you think you'll get back into work and how much is the saving? I'm not sure, to be honest, Mike. But here's the deal. I mean, um, actually, people on the job seeker benefits up 57%, over 70,000 more people on it to 190,000. Uh, and at the same time, sanctions are being applied have actually dropped down 58%. So all we're saying is, look, there's these rules that exist already today. Uh, Previous governments, previous national governments used them. Uh, Under the previous administration, they basically sent a message out to say, don't worry about it too much. Uh, And we just sent a letter to the CEO of MSD saying, hey, listen, just the spirit of people holding up their end and the principle of rights and responsibilities, uh, we expect those sanctions to be applied. The vast majority of people are compliant, but it would just say to you that we've had a big growth in job seeker numbers at a time of unemployment, uh, low unemployment and lots of shortages, um, and we've also then had a lot of reduction in people being sanctioned. And so um, we just want to make people understand, we live in a society of rights and responsibilities. Um, yes, we'll support you when you're doing it tough. You need to be able to work if you're on a job seeker benefits, the old unemployment benefit, uh, either now or within two years. And so your job is to look for a job. That's what you're there to do. And is the ministry on board with that? Because it's the same ministry that's clearly been slacking off for the last six years. Well, clearly the previous minister sent the message very clearly to say don't, don't put too much effort into that. But I'm telling you, having spoken to a lot of frontline caseworkers uh, working at MSD, it's one of their big frustrations is that they don't feel that they uh, can actually apply the sanctions when they need to be applied. People who, who are willingly, willfully and you know, knowingly uh, abusing the system and, and not taking their obligations seriously. So you know, you've got to show up for job interviews, you've got to do certain things to train and get ready for a job. Uh, that's what you're there to do. And and, you know, the bottom line is you've got lots of listeners today that have woken up at seven and they're on low and middle incomes and they're working really hard and paying their taxes. And those taxes come here and we help New Zealanders when they need it. Um, but the, the deal is that you also help yourself by um, getting yourself off benefit back into work. Our listeners would wake up at six. Um, <laughs> exactly. Immigration. <laughs> you've got the hardest working listeners in the country. Exactly. So yeah. Im- immigration <laughs> settings and changes, when are they coming and what are they? Well, it's something that um, Erica Stamford is looking at right now. I mean, obviously, we have got to find a balance to actually sort of maintain and retain highly skilled you know, people into New Zealand, and, and we've got to get that balance right. We need teachers, we need doctors, we need technology-based folk, um, and we've got to fill genuine skill shortages. We've been through a bit of a roller coaster where you know the whole joint was shut down, and then it was opened up with a lot of um, not a lot of checks and balances in place. Uh, and so Erica Stanford's looking at that right now to say, right, we've got to make sure any immigration strategy um, and policy is consistent with our economic uh, challenges and the agenda that we've got, as well as making sure infrastructure can support it. And so, you know, there is a feeling that we've got some catch up. Uh, and that's what you're seeing in the latest set of numbers. But equally, I just want to be reassured that actually there's an alignment between the skills and the people that we're bringing into the country that fit with what the economy needs mm. and also that we can support it with good infrastructure. Here's my fear. Uh, we've missed out. It's like tourism. Tourism's at 79% of what it was yeah. and it's not like we're not open. And my fear is that uh, all the good people have gone to other countries that were open earlier than us, processed quicker than us, pay better than us, and we're going to go, hey, here we are, we're open, and they're going to go, already busy, thanks for coming. Do you worry about that? Yeah, the thing that I'm asked Erica to focus on is looking at the difference between um, genuine high-skilled people that I think in many cases look at New Zealand as being too hard in going to Australia, whether they're tradies, uh, whether they're teachers, doctors, etc., um, versus actually what's the mix of what we call lower-skilled work categories, and I think that has jumped quite a bit in the government's opening up, uh, the previous government's opening up, that just didn't have any sort of checks and balances or any sense check on what we were doing. It was just like open the floodgates, let anyone sort of in. 
but actually not thinking intentionally about how we match that up to work shortages, worker shortages that we've got. So um, that is one of the things I know America's looking at very closely, which is have we got the mix right? Um, and your point's the right one. I mean, which is, you know, when I was hearing stories in regional India uh, of, of regional newspapers reporting on crime challenges and, and ram raids in New Zealand, uh, it doesn't play well for no. international students, for tourists, um, or for potential um, skilled um, migrants. Are we going to hear something on Build to Rent, this Chris Bishop paper, which may or may not have been leaked? Are you looking for people offshore with money to come here to build something to rent? Is that a possibility or not? Yeah, it is. Um, and, and Chris is working that through. So he's only sort of in the draft stage, but um, and wanting to obviously you know, work that through the cabinet process. But again, what he's trying to do there, and quite rightfully so, is that as you know, housing's really linked. You can't own a house, you rent one. If you can't rent one, you get a social house. Um, if you can't get a social house, you're in emergency housing. And the big problem is supply. And internationally, they have these build-to-rent projects. Um, they can be funded by super funds or pension funds. Um, you know, been, you know, there's been interest actually from, from organisations here in New Zealand to do them. And essentially, they build you know, 100-year buildings that are fit for rents. Uh, people take long-term rents. The, the investor gets you know, 6 or 7% return or whatever it is. Uh, and those products exist all around the world, but they haven't been available here because of some legislative requirements. It's easier to build a retirement village than it is to actually build a build-to-rent um, complex and build it. So, you know, we're just making sure that the settings are right so that we can have access to, you know, a product that actually would help our rental market and um, help us with our supply challenges that we've got. So, and, and as I said, some of that investment could come from domestically from within New Zealand and some of it could come from overseas. But, you know, Chris has been, you know, quite right. That's a product that we know there's a lot of demand for. Um, there's investors that want to build it. Um, and we made the legislation and the regulations too hard for them to do it. Do you have coalition problems with that? Um, look, I don't think so. We'll work it through um, with our partners. I mean, we usually have a process where you know, we're, we're considering a lot of legislation of our agenda, uh, and you know, it's in different stages. Uh, but you know, in all conversations, we have conversations with the National Party caucus to make sure we're aligned, um, as well as obviously with our coalition partners. And I, and I just say to you, it's actually working really well. I mean, you know, the relationships that you know I have with Winston and with David is, is very constructive. We're very aligned on what we're trying to do. Um, and to be honest, we don't have you know major major differences. And if we do, we have a process for sort of clearing them out. Uh, we do that very, you know, we've got good relationships so we can sort of sort that stuff out. So, you know, this is a paper where there's an acknowledgement from all parties we need a build to rent type product. Um, and um, Chris will just work through the specifics and the details of it. Story floating around this morning, the uh, St John's are saying that they're pulling ambulances off the road, they don't have the money. Are we going to sort out ambulances once and for all in this country and fund them in some way, shape or form so we don't have an ongoing battle as to who's got money and who hasn't got money? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit interesting this one because it was in 2022 there was a new um, four-year agreement from memory that was struck between it's actually Health New Zealand and ACC that worked with St John and in that agreement um, the government provides I think 380 million a year and I think it's up close to 150 million um, over the past two years so you know that, that, that deal was sort of done but with the previous government and there was obviously a big investment and, and good flow of cash coming from government into St John and then they've got to operationalise it from there. As I understand it in my previous conversations with former CEOs and, and current CEOs of St John's they, they don't want to be 100% uh, funded by the government because you, know, you don't want a government-run ambulance system. It would be a disaster. Um, so they, and, and actually having the community engaged in it is actually a good thing. So, yeah, we'll keep looking at it. Um, but the question is, you know, the deal's just been completed, so I'm not quite sure. It's a four-year arrangement and there's a lot of extra money gone in and I'm not sure if, whether the issues are about staffing or operational or, or budget or funding, um, but Shane Rehe will look into that. Do you support generally your government, uh, this business where the media fronted up 
with the tech giants and stuff in the select committee hearing the other day and whether or not, you know, Google, etc., should be paying for news. Do, does your mm. government support it, given that was a Labor piece of legislation? No, we didn't support the bill in its current form. And the reason is that I just think media companies can do their own individual deals um, with those tech platforms. In fact, as your, as your umbrella organisation has and others have as well. So, you know, we're, we're in the middle of the select committee stage. We'll hear out the submitters and we'll hear what people have got to say. And, and look at it after that. But um, you know, I'm aware of the issues around the media landscape, but there's also some unintended consequences. You know, you had basically the tech platforms pull out of Canada and then you had a huge loss of media plurality with all the regional players falling over up there. So, you know, there's pros and cons. Um, and actually, um, I prefer the model of, of people doing commercial deals for those tech platforms, which, you know, some, some organisations, you know, front-footed ones have actually got out on the front foot you know, a couple of years ago and actually got that sorted. And on the subject of journalism, yesterday you would have been taken back in the ghast, I'm sure, at the question over the unbranded high-vis vests for, for, your, <laughs> tour, for your tour on the road, uh, totaling $304.90. Oh, what percentage of yeah. questions are asked of you post-Cabinet that are a complete and utter waste of time? <laughs> you might think that, Mike. I couldn't possibly comment, but uh, it's a Francis Urquhart. But, uh, but uh, look... Um, that was insane, uh, to be honest with you. I get out of a car, I check on the PPE, and I'm more interested in whether the project's being delivered or not, and I don't care what's on the logo. Uh, I just want things to get done. And that bridge, as I talked to you about before, was actually really inspiring because I'd gone there with Simeon in April, and we'd said, hang on, you can't have Coromandel not having a, a bridge there for three years in a row now, not having tourists into the region for three years. And, man, it was a great example and inspiration to me that we can do stuff for this country we want to. Used emergency powers got through the fast-track consenting process, ended up running standardised bridges and roads, did it under budget and ahead of time, and, uh, and the community worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week, as they should, uh, to get it done. Yeah. And um, so yeah, we can do stuff. So I'm more interested in that stuff. But, yeah, pretty ridiculous question on PPE. Appreciate it. And Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister. For more from the Mike Hosking Breakfast, listen live to News Talk ZB from 6am weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.